You're listening to an encore presentation of Making Finance Personal. You can get a personal appointment with an advisor from the Making Finance Personal team by calling 800-804-0854 or email them at the show at oakpartners.com. Now, let's get to the show. Oak Partners and SII are separate and unrelated companies, and SII Investments does not offer tax or legal advice. From Oak Partners Wealth and Retirement Planning Group, it's time for Making Finance Personal. With your hosts, Mike Barancic, Jason Urbanek, and Steve Kavis. On today's show, you'll get important market updates during our opening bell segment. Then, during our financial tools portion of the show, we will discuss behavioral finance. And don't let that title scare you into thinking this will be a dull, dry psychotherapy session. It will be insightful for you, and perhaps about you. Stay tuned. Then, as always, we answer some investor questions, and Jason gives us his thought for the week. I'm Amy from Oak Partners. Time to get this show started. Thank you, Amy. Welcome, everybody, to Making Finance Personal, the show where we understand that when it comes to your finances, it's always personal. I'm Steve Cavis, joined, as always, by Mike Barancic. Stephen, thanks for having me back. <laughs> Glad to have you back, Mike, after your uh, week off. After my week off. That's and, uh, and Clint did a great job filling in for you, by the way. Uh, wah, and, uh, wah, wah. and also, as always, Jason Urbanic. Happy Sunday, everybody. If you want to get a hold of the show, the number for you is 888-546-5115, 888-546-5115. We would like your opinions and your thoughts. Or you can always email us to the show at oakpartners.com. It's one word, the show at oakpartners.com. Absolutely. And, you know, we, we talked a little bit about this last week. Uh, Mike and I were at a conference, um, you know, a, a, an investment manager's conference. And, and it's funny that what we came back from that conference with was not about asset allocation or anything like that. A lot of it was about behavioral finance, and that's going to be the topic of our show today. Um, so looking forward to that. I know we talked a little bit about some of that stuff last week, but uh, I thought it would be a really good show to help explain to you why you are not a good investor. You know what, keep it's not it real. your fault. You know, you know how people should keep it real in life? We should keep it real by having investment conferences in um, Flint, Michigan. And not um, California, right? <laughs> well, is that the keep it real moment? You're just all? upset because someone had to stay home and mind the store. Exactly. Yeah. I am upset about that, but you know they never have it in Flint. So well, it's we, hard to get. Fridge, it's know? hard to get to. Uh, Palm, to be fair, it's hard to get to Palm Desert from Chicago. I mean, there's a few flights out of O'Hare. There's like none on a Midway. You got to fly somewhere else and drive. So yeah, let's well, put it wasn't a violin right now. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure none of our listeners uh, really care about that right now. What they do care about is the deflating things that happened last week, right? And I'm not talking about Billichek and the uh, and the Patriots ball. Deflate gate. I'm talking or about, Balgazi was okay. the other one I heard. <laughs> I'm talking about the other uh, Balgazi situation. That's uh, the State of the Union address. What do you guys think? Well, again, I mean, I was telling you guys before the show that, you know, Obama for like him or don't don't like him. And, you know, of course, as financial people, we err on the side of probably not liking him for many reasons when it comes to the economy. His policies. And, and his policies, not exactly. Him as a person. No, not his person. That's what I was about to say. Yeah, I don't he, actually know him. I've never had dinner with him. I've never gone he's out very for witty. a couple of cocktails. But, uh, very funny. Very witty. Um, seems like a likable guy. Play some golf. Play some hoops. Um, you like him on a personal level. Certainly not lacking confidence. Certainly not lacking <laughs> confidence at all. Uh, but it's just um, how the policies, you know, I, I sit there thinking, this really, really sounds good. We are going to save everybody, help everybody. And then you think um, as a realistic person, um, yeah, who's paying for that? And that's the concern that I have is that it is the the trickle-down effect of policies made in a vacuum that that really can can impact us and really can impede an economic recovery. And I, I am all for helping out people that need help. I understand that. I'm all for paying my fair share of taxes. I am all for that. What I'm not for 
is just wasting money for absolutely no apparent reason. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say a lot of the, a lot of the, the policies that are coming out of this presidency and, and just sort of the Democrats in Congress in general are all very theory based. Not very practical based, but very theory based. Things that sound great in theory, like let's give two years of free community college to everybody. Hey, that sounds getter. great in theory, but when you give something away for free, and I'm sure people who own businesses understand this, if you give something away for free, people don't put any value. They don't literally. There's no value associated with that. So if a kid's going to get free college. Is he going to really try? Is he going to really care? More times than not, probably not. But one of the things that uh, when you think about um, the, the current party and where they do well, it's typically that under 30, under 25 vote. And yeah. So now you're basically saying, hey, you under 25 something, I'm going to take a lot of debt off of your back. I'm going to help you. So help me. And, and right. that's and it, vote. It, and a lot of his policies are vote buyers, and that's what I don't get. That's that how, how we can allow this to continue to happen. That's the mo right there, buying the votes. I was sitting there thinking to myself when all those uh, great grand ideas were being said. There are people on the other side of that TV that are fainting, going, "Oh my God, this is the most yes, gracious president I've ever seen in my life," and not really thinking about the financial side. And the financial side is, you know, this this company, country is built on capitalism. People typically don't like redistribution of wealth if you've um, made it or if you started a business. Well, it depends. If you don't have wealth, you love redistribution That's right. But the people who are actually starting businesses and employing people, um, you know, they don't like that. And that's because we're in a capitalistic society here and that's going to be ruined. Yeah. And the whole let's take from the the Robin Hood. You know, he is the Robin Hood president. Let's take from the rich and give to the poor. Sounds great to a lot of people. But when you read between the lines and you actually look at the stuff, he's not just taking from the rich. That's he's right. taking from investors. I know plenty of investors that are, that are not rich. They're middle class people. And he's taking from people who are trying to save for college on their own. And, and some of these tax increases are going to affect a lot more people than you'd think. And a lot of listeners you know, to this radio station are going to be affected by those. And that's, that's the other situation, Steve. You nailed it right on the head. The situation is that he's redefined the rich, right? The rich isn't the the guy that's driving the or flying the uh, private jet anymore. The rich the is rich, almost everybody. The rich is almost <laughs> yeah. everybody. It's not the one percent; it's the fifty percent that actually pay taxes, and the yeah. other fifty percent that don't. That's the not rich. And that's what we're going to get into today: are those people that are now being defined as rich and actually have some investment uh, um, investments to worry about? That's what we're going to talk about today. Right. But before we get into that, let's get through some of the news with our opening bell. All right, on today's opening bells, I mean, one of the top stories, I know we got a couple things to talk about, is the European Central Bank. Uh, President Mario Draghi announced last week uh, of an open-ended, expanded monthly 60 billion euro private and public bond buying program, um, basically matching quantitative easing that we've done in this country. And all this happened out in Davos, right? So out in Davos where the who's who, the the they, if you get it, the people that actually uh, run behind the scenes and control everything, they meet every year in, in Davos in Switzerland. And so what, they, what they, they decide, the Swiss, while everyone's in Davos, the Swiss decide that they are going to delink from the euro. Right. And that caused an immediate 40% spike in the, in the euro or in the uh, Swiss franc over the euro and settled down to about 20% um, versus. But what a, what a bold move for that, the Swiss. I tell you what, um, our clients aren't really 
involved in currency plays or anything like that. That's a little bit too advanced for the, the general retiree. But to people who were involved in currency plays and um, having the Swiss do that, right. instantly, instantly, um, you know, people lost billions. But what it basically did, though, is it, it, it negated one of the supports for the euro. And so now right. you've got uh, one of the strongest economies in the euro or, or that was pricing or pegging in the euro that was helping to support the euro. They were buy, having to buy euros to, to keep their Swiss franc stable. Now they're not having to worry about that anymore. And so that's one less support mechanism for the euro. That led to, I think, the, uh, the, the motion by Draghi to start EUQE. Yeah, so it's a time to maybe gain a little bit more exposure to um, international holdings in portfolios right now. I'm not going to answer that for everybody listening. That's their, your own decisions, but this actually is a, a catalyst to maybe but your, that. U, your U.S. dollar buys a lot more right. overseas. Right, and like we've been telling our clients for you know several months now, Europe is sort of where we were five years ago in their cycle. So their QE, so this could be the 2009 time for Europe that, that we had. So it could be a chance, maybe still a little bit early, but definitely with the QE, That's right. we, we might be, we might see the same results in Europe that we saw. Probably still a little US. bit early. Doesn't look healthy. Doesn't feel healthy. Doesn't seem healthy. Doesn't mean the stock market won't move. Yeah, right. exactly. I um, myself put some um, international position in my retirement accounts about probably eight months ago, way too early. It's done nothing. But now, you know, I look like a genius. Yeah. Just, just if you're wrong, just keep waiting and eventually you'll be right. Exactly. <laughs> All right. That being said, let's get into this week's financial tool. Now, we said at the top of the show for our financial tool this week, we wanted to talk about behavioral finance, which sounds really boring, but I guarantee that it affects every one of you out there because it's how you think as an investor. Um, the markets and all the data you hear about the markets and all the investment strategies uh, are, are based on sort of one core principle that people, investors, are going to act in a logical and a rational manner at all times. What and, the heck is that, Steve? And we are not robots. We are people. And people cannot act rationally and logically at all times. So this whole other part of the investment industry has sort of popped up here in the last, and it's been around for a long time, but really gaining popularity here called behavioral finance. And that's studying how you, the investor, actually acts, actually acts, not how you would in theory would act, and sort of planning around those things. So here's a funny theory here. Um, traditional financial theory, like Steve mentions, um, says that decisions are made rationally based on the best available information. And that's exactly what you said. And we know that emotion gets in the way. Right. So we're going to dig into some of these biases and some of these errors and how to how to sort of avoid them in your own portfolio uh, when we get back. We have, of course, Jason Salt for the week. We've got a couple of listener questions we're going to get to. And we have uh, the behavioral finance right when we get back. If you want to get a hold of us, if you have a question about anything we're talking about, give us a call. 888-546-5115. Or check us out on our podcast. You can search iTunes for MFP Show. That's Making Finance Personal. Oak Partners and SII are separate and unrelated companies. SII Investments does not offer tax or legal advice. Mike Baranzik, Jason Urbanic, and Steve Cavis are top wealth advisors and investment professionals of SII Investments Incorporated, member of FINRA and SIPC, as well as registered investment advisors. Back now to Making Finance Personal on AM560, The Answer. All right. Welcome back to Making Finance Personal. Uh, before the break, we started talking a little bit about behavioral finance, and it is definitely more exciting than it sounds. I promise you guys. I guarantee it, Steve. We're going to have a great show today. Uh, behavioral finance is all about you, right? The investor, the listener. This is us. Yes. This is why you are terrible at investing. 
That's true. And you know what else is terrible? I just noticed that Mike is um, throwing all his papers on the ground. I've been watching you for weeks here, and like David Letterman throws his card away when he's done with it. <laughs> Every time you're done with a segment, you throw crap behind you on the ground. And I don't know who, where you think you're at right now, but this is a very nice studio. I might actually just think I'm going to start leaving it there and uh, ask our producer Seth to pick it up after us because I'm too yeah. busy. Yeah. All right, thank you. <laughs> there we go. Um, so, you know, like I said, you stink at investing. Now, I mean that somewhat facetiously. And, and, and trust me, it's not your fault. We are biologically, physiologically predisposed to certain biases. Um, it's called heuristics. It's the you know the same thing that that causes you to ha- use rule of th- rules of thumb or to make judgments on things without knowing all the information. Because we have to do that. We've evolved because we have to do that because we don't have time before we make every decision uh, that comes across us in our daily lives as human beings to analyze all the possible information and then make the decision. As primal instincts, right? You know that's what kept you alive when you were running through the jungle, uh, running away from the saber tooth <laughs> tiger or whatever. Right. You know, those. That's what kept you alive were instincts, and right. So people use their instincts, and instincts are basically just bundles of emotion. So that tends to create the wrong decision when you're trying to make a logical assumption of which investment to purchase. And that's called biases. Um, when you when your judgment, when your assumptions are wrong, it's called biases. And there's a whole bunch of different biases. And we're going to, I mean, there's dozens of biases. Let's that go investors, through a few so the listener could yeah, kind of we're apply go through a few of what them. they're doing wrong. Jason, why don't you give us the first uh, bias that, that well, people run into? Well, some of these, we, some of these are more vague than others, but some of these we see in our practice all the time. You know, we've been doing this for, for Oak Partners for 23 years in Chicagoland. And I tell you what, number one, overconfidence. I mean, investors generally assume that they know more than they actually do, and they, you know, look at previous investment decisions as the barometer of where they're going next. And sometimes things change. Well, and and it can lead to um, to, to aggressive trading, right? right? You're overconfident in a stock that you own. You might decide that you need to keep piling it on. Yeah, I mean this. This, how many of you look look in the mirror and say, I'm, I know everything there is to know about investing. I certainly can beat the market. Um, that's overconfidence. That's thinking, like you said, that you know more than you do or that you know something that you actually don't know. Yeah, I think that's we see that all the time, of course, overconfident. The next one is something called mental accounting. Now, mental accounting is, you know, I guess a lot of people say a good way to explain it is when, when maybe you out there look at your portfolio and when you're making decisions and then you have some gains and then you look at that those gains as a, like free money and just get a little bit crazy with it. You're gambling. Yeah, and, and that's where I, I like to call this the casino effect, right? You've, you've, you made, uh, you, you made uh, money in one stock, but you lost money in the other stock. You don't take into account the loss from the other stock, right? You, you say, well, the stock that I made money in, well, that's all – house money or casinos money and I'm going to let that run or I'm going to be very aggressive with that instead of average, averaging the two out and realize that you're right back where you started from. So you have to make sure that you're making quality decisions and taking profits off the table. Remember, you never make a penny until you sell. Yes. Mental accounting is uh, is something that you really have to, to, to be wary of because you know at so, everybody makes a bad decision at one point. Sometimes you just have to cut your losses 
take your the, the dollars you have left and move them forward. That's what I, that's why I think financial planners like us come in. Of course, you know we manage a lot of money for a reason because we kind of take the emotion out of it. You know, it's not our money. We're here to be a, a fiduciary, which we are, of course. We're here to make prudent decisions in when we're talking about portfolio management. We're not here to get emotional and say, "Hey, here's um, you know, my client just made a bunch of money on this um, on this stock. We're gonna we're gonna take it and we're gonna run with it." You know, what I mean, that's not what we do. And all of these things are reasons why you should probably consult or talk to a, a quality financial advisor, someone who's going to take your goals uh, in mind when you're making decisions together, because that quality financial advisor should be taking emotion out of the mix. You should not come to your financial advisor's office and he say, I love this stock because what he just did was allowed emotion to get in the way of your money. Right. And emo- and it's tough to deal with emotion um, and you can't counter emotion with logic. And that's why sometimes, you know, you can, your advisor can say, well, I've got this great strategy for you or this great plan for you. It, it makes very, a, a lot of sense. It's diversified, this, this, and this, but you just, for some reason, you just don't feel right about it. And that's because you're, he's trying to counter emotion with logic and those two clash. You can't, you can't answer. You have to counter emotion with emotion and explain and handhold right. and, and do things like that. You know, Steve, one of the, the, the first two biases that we talked about, um, where we see those applied very, very often are in people's company stock, right? So maybe they work for a company and they've worked there for 20 years and they, they feel like they know the ins and outs and the direction of the company and feel that it's, uh, this is something that, that is going to be strong and, and, and they are reluctant to sell maybe some company stock that they have in their 401k plans or profit sharing plans. And they will literally hold on to that forever because maybe 10 years ago it's done well for them. But today it's biting them in the butt, but they feel overconfident and they have some mental accounting that they say, well, I never had that money. I don't need to worry about it. And that also transitions perfectly into our next one, which is anchoring. This is one of the main biases, um, the main mistakes that investors make and even traders do. Um, but the really good traders, the really logical traders are able to separate that. Anchoring basically means you make your decisions or you base your decisions right now on the history that you had with this investment. Oh, I can't sell the stock because I'm down. I don't want to take a loss or, or I can't sell it because it's been good. It's been up a lot. And you really can't look at things that way. Yesterday's price or the price that you bought a stock at should have absolutely no impact on what you do with that stock today. I agree with you 100%. Be, is this stock something that I want to own going forward regardless of what happened to it in the past? So you're saying it should be the technicals and the fundamentals of the stock that make you have decisions on where to buy and sell a stock, not um, what you think the price should be. And Steve, that's exactly what you're mentioning with a lot of the company stock that we see. They they remember a company of the past and the stock price of where it went to and where right. it was, and they still think it's going back there, but it's a new company now. And, and the other thing that you, you think about often when you think about this is that uh, you have to be wary about looking in the rearview mirror, right? You can't manage your assets with looking in the rearview mirror. You have to be looking forward and not just right in front of your car, not just right in front of your investment vehicle, but way down the road. I want to know where that bend's going to be, and I want to prepare for it. Well in advance, and not just a mile down the road. Yeah, it, didn't Warren Buffett say that the rearview mirror is always twenty twenty? That's right. Along that, that's right. Something he's along one, that. He's I one of many I'm that has actually that used that analogy. So I think a behavioral. I didn't invent that. <laughs> I think behavioral finance, and we have a few more to share if we, if um, you guys so choose. But I think be, behavioral finance is 
the theory behind it is really the reason I don't worry about um, online advisors and robo advisors. You mean the whole robo advisor craze that's yeah. taking the nation, where people are going directly to the internet, yeah. and getting no emotional help at all. Yeah, because I, I just don't think that the average retiree um, who's knee deep in assets. Um, can really emotionally, uh, in using behavioral finance, um, not mess up. I really think that. I think you need a third party um, with a clear head and not emotional to kind of run money. Right, and and that's the thing is, but but you have to have that human component to address the emotional state because you can't just, you know, it's been proven time and time again. People are not going to build their plan, stick with it, remove emotion, and that's what the robo advisor does. It gives you an asset allocation that says logically. This is how you should be invested. And that might be true, but when you see a loss on a statement, the robo-advisor is not comforting you uh, or explaining why to stick with the plan or what changes should be made. And that's one of the reasons why at Oak Partners we work on teams, right? Because the different advisors on your team help to, to get rid of the emotion in ourselves, within ourselves, right? So if I might be emotional, emotional about an investment, one of my other team members is supposed to step up and say, hey, we've got to take a look back and make sure we're understanding the fundamentals. So if your advisors aren't doing that, make sure you give us a call at 888-546-5115-OAK-PARTNERS, and we'll, we'll help you take the emotion out of your investing. And I think it's our job to understand the behavioral finance of our clients of our clients, and I'll, maybe when we get back, we'll tell maybe a story or so about our clients and how behavioral finance works in their minds. Yeah, and if you don't believe what we're saying, we've got the data to back it up. We're not going to bore you with a bunch of data, but you've all heard the statistics about how the average investor uh, performs so much more worse than the indexes they're trying to uh, invest in. So we'll get into some more of that. Uh, a few more behavioral finance uh, biases when we get back. We've also got some listener questions and Jason's thought for the week. Uh, uh, if you want to chime in, send us an email to the show at oakpartners.com. Or check us out on our podcast. You can search iTunes for MFP Show. That's Making Finance Personal. Oak Partners and SII are separate and unrelated companies. SII Investments does not offer tax or legal advice. Mike Morantic, Jason Urbanic, and Steve Cavis are top wealth advisors and investment professionals of SI Investments Incorporated, member of FINRA and SIPC, as well as registered investment advisors. Back now to Making Finance Personal on AM560, The Answer. All right, and we're back with our discussion on behavioral finance. And if some of these biases, some of these mistakes uh, sound a little bit too familiar, maybe hit a little too close to home, give us a call, 888-546-5115. We can go over these with you on a one-on-one basis and maybe give you some actual advice to help you avoid some of these pitfalls that, that physiologically we all are, are inclined to do. And that's our message line. So if you've got a, if you want to leave a message, go ahead and leave that message. We'll either cover it on the air. If you want to be contacted with, uh, with an answer directly, leave us your information. We will call you back. Or you can always contribute to the show by emailing the show at oakpartners.com. That's emailing the show at oakpartners.com. All right. Our next bias, and this is a good one, is called framing. And what framing is, is how you... Bowling? Are we how bowling? You, yes, it's bowling. It? It's exactly what we're going to talk about, oh, bowling. Great, no, great. You it's never how, bowl when you're doing your portfolio. It's oh. how a, the choices are presented. So, for example, uh, a study was done um, by a psychologist, and he said, can you save 20% of your income? He asked a group of people, can you save 20% of your income? And 50% said yes, 50% said no. Sounds about fair. Now, he asked people, could you live off of 80% of your income? 
Same question, just phrased a little bit differently, and 80% of the people said yes, they could. So the same question asked two different ways created a much bigger response uh, that way. So it's a lot of that is depending on, you know, you make a decision on something depending on how you look at it or how it's presented to you. And so it's our job as financial advisors to understand how to frame those questions so that you can can save as much as possible in retirement so that your account can grow as much as, as possible in retirement so that when you are in retirement, you're living off of at least 80% of what you were spending when you were working, doing the things you want to do, living the lifestyle you want to live, being the retiree that gets to enjoy life instead of, I can't do anything besides watch TV. Exactly. We uh, One of the stories from this week's meetings, great client comes in, um, nice assets with us, great portfolio conservative is all heck you know they there's no stomach for anything but of course you know it's been choppy lately but with the s&p doing well everybody wants to do um, they want to compete with the s&p um so anyway comes in and framing is a good example of our conversation um maybe we should get a little bit more aggressive so i make more money i said okay so you want to make more money yes um are you willing to um lose more no that is those that's that's the same theory when it comes to portfolio because you know the point is that risk reward that my friend outlines investor behavior and investor uh, thought process is that right they risk and reward have to balance each other right if you're going to take risk then or if you want reward then you have to take risk there is no riskless reward it just does not exist right and that actually takes us to our final bias and that's loss aversion and that's people's tendency to lose to avoid losses at, at at any cost and a great example in in the statistics have been out there for a long time is that a loss of a dollar for example feels twice as bad as a gain of a dollar feels right. good so it's a 2 to 1 ratio in the same dollar amount uh, a loss versus a win and and that's another uh, big pain for advisors or, or is that you, you meet people that have been sitting in cash and I'm not exaggerating since the correction of 2008 right since the crash of 2008 people have still been in cash because of that loss aversion Steve they lost money with what their investments were doing, and then they got out of the market, and they have been petrified to get back in because of that loss aversion. They see the the S and P five hundred is continually doing well. Now they come back to the to an advisor and they say, "Hey, I want to get a part of that, but I don't want to take any risk." There are ways to do it, but you will be giving up upside. Exactly, and clients know that. That's what that's where financial planners, good ones. Um, know what they're doing. They know what their clients need and how to build a portfolio. Because you know what? It's not sexy building for um, building for no loss. You know what I mean? It's sexy to try to get all kind of appreciation in the bull market. But the client, um, you know, I, I don't think it's a thankless job when the market is falling and um, your client's portfolio is down way less because um, you know you if you have you put some hedging in there and stuff like if that. If you have more money to participate in a market recovery, then we've done our jobs. That's right. Yeah, and I'm going to tie these together and. Maybe surprise you a little bit, investors, you think of savings as a loss. In your brain, saving money is considered a loss because that's money you don't have to spend. And that's why that framing of the last question works so well. Oh, can you save 20% of your income? Ooh, that sounds like a loss to me. 
can you live off of 80% of your income? That doesn't sound like it a sounds lot. reasonable. Yes, I'll do that. So, you know, overcoming these biases are not easy. Um, you need the help of a good financial advisor or almost even a counselor, which I feel like we're a counselor as much as we're an <laughs> asset allocator right. for our clients these days. Um, but, you know, somebody who really knows what they're doing and understands that there's more to investing than just the X's and the O's. So with that being said, uh, let's get into a quick financial fool here uh, before we before we uh, have to take one more break. Um, you know, we had a client recently that was, I mean, he was guilty of probably all of these. He panicked, knee-jerk reaction. Um, we had a little bit of noise out there in the news. And what did he do? Moved his account half to cash and then missed the rebound in the stock market because he was emotional, he was anchoring, he was framing, he was doing all these things that he shouldn't have been doing. And now he feels bad about it. But now hey, he feels bad. Live and learn, right? Right. Well, we'll be right back after the break with our listener feedback section, The Answer. Oak Partners and SII are separate and unrelated companies. SII Investments does not offer tax or legal advice. Mike Morantic, Jason Urbanic, and Steve Cavis are top wealth advisors and investment professionals of SI Investments Incorporated, member FINRA and SIPC, as well as registered investment advisors. Back now to Making Finance Personal on AM 560. The answer. Okay, we are back with our listener feedback segment known as The Answer. Uh, here on Making Finance Personal. If you heard something that we talked about earlier in the show, if one of these investor biases sounds familiar to you and you want a little bit more information about it and how you can maybe avoid these biases going forward, give us a call, 888-546-5115, or send us an email to the show at oakpartners.com. Um, if you have a question that's that's a good question that, that maybe a lot of other people want, we might use it for our answer segment. Um, so that being said, Dan, what is our first listener question? All right. Question number one. My advisor has me in an investment that has an algorithm that takes your money out of the market and puts you into cash. Most of my money is in this investment and it seems to spend a lot of time in cash. I'm wondering if this type of investment is hurting me more than it helps. Wow. So for you, our listeners out there, um, algorithm is like a, an equation. It's like a, a formula-based uh, investment strategy. So if, you, if you're investing with that formula approach, you know, let's hope that it's got some back-testing data to show that it works. Yeah, and it's, it's actually the opposite of what we talked about today. It's, it's purely computer-driven and, and formula-driven, like Mike said. But these sort of uh, strategies, there's a lot of advisors out there using these strategies. They became really popular since 2008 because all these strategies told you that they would have sat out for most of 2008 um, and, and avoided a lot of losses. So so now people are getting back into them. Yeah, if you're using an algorithmic strategy in your portfolio, there's nothing wrong with that at all, but you have to understand what it does and what it means to your portfolio. If it's all of your portfolio, then yeah, you may drag depending on what the algorithm tells when you get in and out of the market, you know, depending on how it's set up. Um, if it's only a piece of your portfolio, um, maybe, maybe that's a good downside hedge. I don't know until I see what you have running there. Uh, but it could be a good thing. So, and so remember when you're going to underperform as well. When the market is choppy, when the market's moving 
up a, a couple of days and then down for a couple of days and then up for a couple of when it's choppy you're going to underperform because you can't keep you, up you can't keep up right. you're either going to sit out of the market on the up days or get into the market on the down days and those are going to be painful so you have to know what you own why you own it and how it actually works and so make sure your advisor is explaining those things and all the details because the devil is in the details yes absolutely and we actually use a couple of different algorithm strategies for some of our clients for a portion of their portfolio. But portion. like Mike said, um, what we've noticed is they tend to, well, just by nature, they, there has to be losses in the market before they would even move out of the market. So and you're going ones. to definitely have losses and they tend to get out faster than they get back in. Yeah. So in a choppy market, like we've seen, as Mike said, um, they tend to underperform. But what they're there for is a big, prolonged, de- pro- the prolonged down period, right, that's it. a 2008, yeah. something like that. So um, the strategies can be good, but understand the strategy and don't be surprised if it underperforms in a choppy market and know why you have the strategy. But as far as having it for the entire portfolio, that I, I'm, I'm against because uh, it's it's too much, too much potential volatility and and, and too wild to, to put all your money into that. Okay, Dan, that's a great question, by the way. Um, what is our second question? All right, they say I received a form in the mail from my investor's broker dealer listing me as a moderate investor. I considered myself conservative. Is that something I should be concerned about? That's another good question, and you know it's something that we deal with. All the time for our clients, um, you know, I think the broker dealers have to send out a form every three years or so, just saying, "Hey, all these, these all this financial information on you uh, says it was this. Is this still the case, or has it changed?" And a lot of that's just for their own protection and to say, "Well, you have a complex option strategy. Um, that's okay because you said you're an aggressive investor, but you know, moderate investor, conservative investor. I think you know, for our clients." There's probably a difference between what you think is a conservative investor and what the broker-dealer world thinks is a conservative which investor. Is, which is basically the compliance um, part of, of the investment advisory realm, right? So the, 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 the back office, the, the people that actually make sure that you're, you're supposed to make sure that you're doing what you say you're going to do, that is, that is the broker-dealer or the compliance arm for us. So we do have to pay attention to what they Uh, believe, but the discussion of your risk tolerance has to be had directly with your advisor. Yeah, that's why we use moderate for the most part is because, you know, most clients typically fall into the moderate category anyway, because moderate means that um, we can go very, very safe, fixed income type things, or you can buy a stock that you've seen and you like, like Walmart or something like that. If you put conservative on most of, most of these things, that means you, you kind of tie hands. You, you tie your own hands. Hand so, yeah. Right. And the, the key is that your advisor knows what your true risk tolerance is because it's not or it's not know. just one of three things. It's not just aggressive, moderate, conservative. Yes, the broker-dealers oftentimes put those three options, but as long as your advisor understands, then it doesn't mean that's how you're going to be invested. It just means that your account will be able to be invested that way, should you choose. It also is kind of account-driven, right? So I might have three accounts um, with, a, with a client, um, and one of those accounts is an all-stock account. Now, clearly, that all-stock account can't be a conservative account because it doesn't even allow for right. bond-based type investments or strategies. So um, so it's, it kind of can be account-driven. So maybe a moderate investor might have an aggressive account that's his all-stock account with a portion of his assets and then have a conservative account 
which is the more stable, long-term, fixed-type money. So yep. account-driven performance and, and risk tolerance is important. Right. So take that letter, sit down with your advisor, go over it with them or her, have them explain it to you, and then make sure you're both on the same page. So we're going to have to take one more quick commercial break. When we get back, we'll wrap the show up and finish with Jason's Thought for the Week. Oak Partners and SII are separate and unrelated companies. SII Investments does not offer tax or legal advice. Mike Morantic, Jason Urbanic, and Steve Cavis are top wealth advisors and investment professionals of SII Investments Incorporated, member of FINRA and SIPC, as well as registered investment advisors. Back now to Making Finance Personal on AM 560. The answer. All right. Welcome back to Making Finance Personal. We had a nice good sort of high level nice nice good show nice, today good show i don't know what the heck is wrong with you steven we had an awesome show today I know. we talked about behavioral finance how much never, more exciting can you get ever use the word good it is exciting it's exciting <laughs> because it's something that affects pretty much every person out there that's why you're not a good investor. That's also why it's not your fault that you're not a good investor because you have been you have evolved into this this bad investor. It's also investor amnesia, right? It's people don't really know that this is what they're doing and they're just doing it. So they should look in the mirror. Every retiree, every investor should look in the mirror every day, grab the mirror and say, "I am way too emotional to do this myself." Right. Because all the things that keep you alive and have kept the human race alive for many thousands of years are the Things that make you a bad investor. So that's why you have to try to break free from some of these biases, the overconfidence bias, the mental accounting bias, the anchoring bias, the framing bias, and the loss aversion bias. Too conservative, right? So you you have to make sure that you're, you're getting help with these issues. Yeah. So, you know, uh, one of a, a product partner that we use said, you know, what invest, what retirees want is income, but sometimes what they need is growth. And, and that's true. That's true for a lot of people out there. So make sure you're using a quality advisor uh, to help you with some of these uh, problems that can arise in your investments. Right. Great show. So, Jason, let's hear your thought for the week. On today's thought of the week, are you a retiree that monitors the S&P 500 as a barometer for your portfolio? Why? You see, when a goal-based retirement portfolio is constructed, it's done with important factors like goals you have for some of your assets. What about monthly income? And here's a thought, safety. See, an advisor isn't trying to keep up with a six-year bull run. We are trying to make a client appreciation and offer income without taking unnecessary losses if possible. So in closing, if you are a retiree who thinks diversification is way too boring in this bull market, by all means, try to keep up with the S&P 500 returns, but also start looking for a part-time job. (laughs) That's a great one, Jason. You know, uh, luckily I have a full-time job and it's being an investment advisor. And so most of our clients are are retirees or pre-retirees, but their children are the millennials. Right. And so next week, we want to do a show that focuses on personal finance that the millennials should be attuned to. Yeah, absolutely. You know, a lot of people are coming out of college um, with student loan debt. Maybe they didn't get free two years of college, as President Obama is uh, proposing. And how do you manage student loans and, and getting started investing in 401ks and saving for a house and saving to get married and all these different things that face millennials? So that's what we're going to address next week is, is sort of target our, our younger listener and see if we can give you some help there. So make sure you stay tuned. 
Right, so Making Finance Personal can be heard each and every Sunday from 3 to 4 p.m. on AM 560, uh, brought to you by Oak Partners. We've been helping clients retire for the last 23 years uh, in the Chicagoland area. That's what we do, and that's what we're good at. So for our production crew, Dan and Seth, my partners, Jason Urbanic and Mike Brancic, I'm Steve Cavis, reminding you that when it comes to your finances, it's always personal. Today's broadcast of Making Finance Personal was presented by the Oak Partners Wealth and Retirement Planning Group, serving Chicagoland for over 21 years. Mike Barancic, Jason Urbanic, and Steve Cavis are wealth advisors and investment professionals of SII Investments Incorporated, member FINRA and SIPC, as well as registered investment advisors. Oak Partners and SII are separate and unrelated companies. SII Investments does not offer tax or legal advice. Your hosts can be reached at 888-546-5115 or online at mfpshow.com. You can email the show at theshow at oakpartners.com. Be sure to tune into Making Finance Personal each and every Sunday afternoon at 3 on AM 560. The Answer. You're listening to an encore presentation of Making Finance Personal.